just hold your spot there uh, in the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be getting there here in just a bit. Well, today we continue in the series called Context, and uh, we started this series last Sunday. A couple of weeks ago, we did a little bit of a kind of an intro, I guess, unofficially in a sense. We had a message where we looked at Scripture, looked at God's Word, the value of God's Word, the authority of God's Word, and uh, how we can trust it. It's without error, and God gave that to us to teach us about Himself and about ourselves and about a relationship with Him. And so we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, but last Sunday we started this brand new series entitled Context. And what we're aiming to do through this series is really a couple of things. And I mentioned last Sunday about tracks. You know, there are two rails you know, associated with a railroad track. As you move along those tracks, there are two different rails that uh, come into play. One rail for this series are the passages that we're going to look at. This morning, we're going to unpack another passage like we do every single Sunday, and uh, hopefully there'll be real value for you there, and there'll be a, 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 God will use that to really speak into your life. And so out of Jeremiah chapter 29 is what we're going to do here in just a bit this morning. But the other rail of this series uh, includes interpretation tips, I guess you could say, learning to understand the Bible better, learning to understand it a little more easily. And when I talk about Bible interpretation, I'm not meaning like interpreting a dream or some kind of a mystical thing at all. I just simply mean reading a Bible that was written long before we came along, that is a big book, right, 66 smaller books that comprise this one big book called the Bible, and being able to read through it in a way that we can understand and that we can apply to our lives, seeing what God's intent is through the word that he has written for us. And so just kind of along the way, we're going to be giving you some, some little tips to help understand the Bible more clearly. And through the course of the series, we're going to run through the end of July, maybe the first of August or so. It's about seven or eight weeks all total. The goal is to learn how to read the Bible better, to understand it more clearly, to live it out more boldly and to ultimately be challenged every single week that we come together. Here's why context is important, because if we don't read Scripture in context, there are really two, two dangers that come into play. One is that we're going to misunderstand it. And if we read the Bible out of context, just like conversations get all mixed up and misunderstood when taken out of context, it's going to happen as well in, in Scripture. So we want to read it in context so that we can understand it. But also, if we don't read the Bible in context, we're, we're running the risk of misapplying it to our lives. We're going to misunderstand it, we're going to misapply it, and either one of those is going to get us over the guardrail and into the trees, and we don't want to be there. We want to be able to, to be on the path that God wants us to be, and understanding His Scripture rightly is a big help for that. And so last Sunday, I gave just a couple of tips to get us started. And if you weren't here, you can jot these down. They're on the overhead again. We'll review these Excuse me, as we go through this series. But the first little tip, little takeaway from last week is that context determines meaning. Whenever we're reading Scripture, if we come to a place to where we don't quite understand what it's getting at, like what did Jesus mean by this particular phrase, or, 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 or what is Paul trying to say here in this letter? I don't understand this particular sentence or this verse. Oftentimes, if we read it in context, it becomes more easily understood. Context is what determines meaning, and that happens in life as well. Let me just give you an example, all right? Let's say, for example, that it's, it's Christmas time. Now, I know it's 140 degrees outside right now and like 200% humidity. But just imagine, let your minds go to Christmas for just a second. Imagine that it's middle December and uh, you're shopping in the mall and you're looking for a Christmas gift. And, and let's say that you get the gift and you come up to, to, um, to purchase it and I'm working there, okay? This will just make it a little more personal. So I'm there behind the register and you say, well, hey, Brooks, what are you doing? Well, I'm just 
got another job for Christmas and get some extra money. And, and uh, so here I am working behind the counter. And uh, is, is that going to do it for you today? And, and yeah, this is all I want. Kind of weird, but yeah, go ahead and ring it up. And, and so, so, you know, you're, you're kind of making that purchase. And imagine that for a moment you say to me, can you, can you wrap this purchase? Now, in the context, I'm going to understand exactly what you're asking. I'm going to understand you're saying, Brooks, can you take this purchase that I've just made, and before I take it home, can you put it in a box, and can you wrap it in decorative paper with Christmas trees on it, and tape it neatly so that I can then present it as a gift to whomever I've purchased this for? I'm going to understand in the context that's what you mean. When you ask me, Brooks, can you wrap this gift, I'm not going to say, well, you came to the mall and you bought a gift. You know, I'm not going to do that because I understand the context, right? And aren't you glad that I don't work at the mall and that I handle gift wrapping that particular way? So I, I'm going to know you don't mean RAP, you know, uh, and it's the context for those of you that are just getting this now, all right? It's the context that helps you to understand. I mean, there are, there are Christmas trees all up around the whole store, okay, and it's December 15th, and, and I know what you mean by the context. That's why it's important. When we read the Bible, it's much the same. We have to read it in context. And so the second little tip that I gave last week was to help you to read the Bible in context, apply the 2020 rule, simply meaning, give or take, you back up before the verse that may be giving you some trouble, you back up about 20 verses, and then you move past it about 20 verses. You're reading about 41 verses, right? The 20 before, the 20 after, and the one that you're not understanding clearly. And you're able to understand it a little better in context. It's a 2020 rule. Real easy to understand, real easy to, to remember. But that's going to help you to be able to read Scripture in the context, ultimately, in which it was written. So last Sunday, uh, before we finished up, when I sent you out the door, uh, I gave you a little bit of... Um, I guess a challenge, you can say. There are about four of them all particular, all in total. But one particular one was to give you a verse of Scripture to memorize and to take it home, begin to memorize it through the course of the week. And uh, I'm just curious, okay? I'm not going to put you on display. We're not going to all ultimately try to quote this. But who just gave it a shot? Memorizing John 14, 12 from last week. Let me just see your hands. Okay, let me get a picture real quick. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not going to do that. If you didn't try it, you know, don't wimp out, man. I know you're not this soft. I mean, you got to give it a shot, okay? Here's why this is important, because this is God's letter for us. This, this is what he has written to us. This is his word. You invest, uh, hopefully for you every single week, a good couple of hours, maybe even three hours on a Sunday morning every single week to come and to hear it taught in a small group, to hear it preached here. Uh, invest the time it takes to memorize his word. Last Sunday, the key verse was John 14, 12. We're going to do this all the way through the summer. So don't wimp out on me. Don't say I'm not going because I'm supposed to memorize the verse and I didn't. Just memorize it. It'll be a lot easier. So I'll give you a little tip, okay? So this is the verse. It looks like a lot of gibberish. Let's go ahead and bring that up, Robert, if you will. This was a little tip that I gave you to help memorize Scripture. I explained it last week, but I didn't have a visual for it. So this week I have a visual. If you have a hard time ultimately memorizing things, all right, and I'm, I'm there with you. I tell people sometimes I meet them and I forget their name and I have to ask it again. And my old standard line is, I have a great, I have a great memory, but it's just kind of short. And I know you may be the same way as well, that you have a hard time memorizing. This can maybe help you memorize Scripture. I challenge you to put it to the test and give it a shot. This is John 14, 12. Now, obviously, that is not the verse. This is kind of like the in-between from having the verse written out and read and you memorizing it from nothing on the page. This is an in-between. This is a little kickstart. This is a little help. It's the first letter of every word in John chapter 14, verse 12. 
So looking at this, some of you already are getting it kick-started in your mind. Truly, truly, what? I say to you, he who, what? Keep it going, believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father, right? So look at there, he just quoted a verse. And all you had were the letters that were up there. You've read the verse a few times, it's in there, right? It's, it's up there somewhere, mixed up with the grocery list and last night's game, right? The score, did the Braves win, did they not? It's up in there. This is just a little in-between tool, right? Nothing magical, it's just a little in-between tool that you may find helpful if you'll jot it down on a piece of paper and have the verse on the other side or a little index card can help you to memorize. So that's what we're doing through this series. We don't do this every single Sunday, but really would love to see you, and I've begun doing this as well myself, really begin to see you be able to internalize God's Word so that you can live it. Here's why this is important. The day is going to come when you wish that you had this book close by because of something that comes when you need it. And this book is not going to be close by. You don't keep it on a keychain. You don't have it, you know, always with you 24-7. And you're not always going to have it accessible. But the day will come whenever you wish you could remember. What was that verse that I learned or, or that I heard a few years ago or a couple of months ago, right? And you're going you're to have nothing to draw from. But whatever has been internalized and memorized, even if you struggle with this, then God can begin to use it and can bring it back to your memory just when you need it. All right, so that's a little bit of a catch-up of what we've covered so far. Today we're going to be in the, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And the verse we're going to look at specifically is going to be verse 11. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. Now, before we begin to unpack that, let me give you just a third in this series, a third little tip for helping to understand the Bible better. This is going to seem a little odd. Uh, you not like a normal, you know, sermon tip necessarily or takeaway, but uh, hopefully this will be helpful to you. And here it is. Carefully choose your study help whenever you study Scripture. For some of you, right, you're just beginning to read the Bible for the very first time, and that is awesome. That is so incredibly exciting. Uh, for others of you, you've been studying the Bible for a lengthy period of time, decades perhaps, and many others that are in between. Now, here's something that can be a help for you. Whenever you begin to, to do a little research online or you go to a Christian bookstore, you're going to find there are a lot of study helps that are there. One thing to keep in mind is that you want to carefully choose those study helps. One of the things, I'm going to mention just a few this morning, then we'll move on with the passage. But one that's going to be really important is something called the Bible Dictionary. This is a, I don't get kickbacks, right? I don't work for Holman. <laughs> you know, but this, is, this is one that I have that I found to be really helpful. It's a Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. You know what illustrated means, right? Pictures, baby. Lots of them. And so uh, that is a really, really good thing if you're like me. So, so he, here's what happens. In just a second, we're going to read a passage out of Jeremiah 29, and you're going to see a lot of names that are mentioned. You're going to see a lot of places that are mentioned, and you're going to see one or two events that are mentioned. What you'll find is, and I did this in preparation for this message, and I do it fairly often, is that that Bible dictionary will kind of give a little bit of a story behind the story. A Bible dictionary does not explain the Bible. What it does is, is it gives us context so that whenever you read about a person, King David, or when you read about an event, Passover, you're able to go to a Bible dictionary, and if you want to go deeper, if you don't care about going deeper, this isn't going to be a bit of good. It'll be a paperweight. I would even say don't even buy it. Save your money. But if you want to be a deeper student of God's Word, if you want to understand what it means in the context, oftentimes, if you're willing to dig a little bit, this type of a resource, it doesn't have to be that specific one, but that type of a resource is going to be very helpful. Study Bibles are incredibly helpful. 
I use a Ryrie study Bible that I've had for years. This one since 1997. This is my third or fourth cover on it. Uh, I can't even remember anymore, uh, but it's got study notes in it. Two that I recommend are a MacArthur study Bible uh, and also an ESV study Bible. Both of those are loaded with notes. Here's, here's what happens when you read the Bible and you have a study Bible with notes at the bottom. The, the notes are not scripture. They're not inspired scripture, right? They're notes from other persons. But it's kind of like having a little bit of a Bible teacher sitting right there with you when you read the Bible. So that when you come to certain words, you don't have to turn and say, hey, man, what, is this, what does this mean? All right? You've got the notes at the bottom of the page that are going to help to unpack what those verses mean. There are things called commentaries that are available that, that can help you to understand Scripture as well. There are a lot of deep study tools that I can tell you about sometime later. And then there are online resources as well that are available. Here, here's what I would say with everything I've just said. Be very, very careful of what study helps you choose when you study the Bible, especially whenever you go online and begin to access study helps online. There is a lot of knucklehead, backwards, poor doctrine, heretical stuff online especially that you can access for free that will lead you over the guardrail and into the high trees quicker than anything you can imagine. So you just got to be very careful about what you choose. You want to study those things that hold out Scripture to be inspired by God without error that's applicable for today. Okay, so those are just a few things. So you'd think I get paid for all this stuff, right? I get, you know... Uh, commission from all these resources that's not the case even though that sounds like an infomercial all right so those will be things that are helpful if you want to be a student of god's word carefully 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 choose the resources that you use to help you study scripture all right so let's go ahead and begin to unpack this particular passage of scripture that we've talked about jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 is the focus and so robert i'm going to pull a fast one on you here if you will just bring up verse 11 for us we're going to start here and then going to roll through like we did in the first service. So Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11, verse 11. This is the verse we're going to read with no context whatsoever. Probably most of you are familiar with this verse. Many of you have memorized it. A few of you have it with a magnet behind it, and it hangs on your fridge, okay? So Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you would say that you have either memorized this or you have it jotted down or you have it on somewhere posted in your house, somewhere separately? Let me just see your hand real quickly, okay? Uh, a lot more hands than those who memorized Scripture even previously, so probably easily half of the people that are here. You're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. What you may not be familiar with, however, is the context in which it was written. And so let's go back, again, applying that 2020 rule, not literally but in theory. Let's go back to verse 1 and begin to unpack the scripture and see what the Lord has for us this morning out of this very, very, very powerful verse and passage as well. So chapter 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All right, we're going to pause right there. Much of that you can look up, again, as I mentioned in the Bible Dictionary. You can learn who Nebuchadnezzar was. You can learn who Jer uh, Jeremiah was. You can learn a little bit more about the city of Jerusalem, and you can understand what an exile is all about. Since we don't have one big giant Bible Dictionary this morning in front of us, let me just try to fill that gap a little bit and set a historical context for this passage. In around the year 586 B.C., God's people, the people of Judah, were taken off into exile. 
that exile would mean that they were drugged against their will out of their homeland, out of the city of Jerusalem, 900 to 1,000 miles away to the land of the world power at that time, the land of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who was reigning and in charge. And the reason that the people of Judah were taken off into captivity, even though they were God's people, was because of their sin against God. Now, God is a God who loves us. God is a God who is merciful. God is a God who is just. But he is also a God who desires to pursue us. And he would pursue his people, the people of Judah, over and over and over as they wandered further and further and further from God. They were involved in false religion. They were tossing God on the top of the heap of all kinds of false worship. They were sinning. They were abandoning God. They were in an apostate condition, and and they were not living lives that put God on display. And so God would warn his people before discipline would come. Jeremiah was one of those prophets. Jeremiah would prophesy for over 40 years, and he did it faithfully. And yet he prophesied to a group of people who did not want to hear what he said, who did not love him, they didn't care about him, they didn't support him, they didn't pat him on the back. Most of them wanted to kill him and do away with him. And yet Jeremiah dug his feet in and he squared his shoulders and he proclaimed faithfully for over 40 years the truth of God to those people so that they would turn from their sin and come back to God. Well, ultimately what would happen is, is that discipline would come. They would not listen, they would stiffen their necks, they would harden their hearts against God, and discipline would come in the form of exile. The Babylonians would ultimately put uh, the city of Jerusalem under siege. And as the city of Jerusalem was under siege for 18 months, one and a half years all total, it would be the, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar that would choke the people of Jerusalem, to choke the people of Judah literally out. They would come to the place to where they had no food, they had no resources. So bad was it that Jeremiah would tell us elsewhere in his book in chapter 19, verse 9, that the people of Judah under siege in the city of Jerusalem would resort to cannibalism in order to survive. That's how bad it was. We cannot even fathom how bad those days must have been. Ultimately, the city walls would be breached. The temple would be destroyed. The furnishings of the temple would be taken off, not used for worship, by the way, to Babylon. The wall would be totally and completely burned down and and destroyed. That set the stage ultimately for Nehemiah to come later. And the people would be scattered. Only the poorest of the poor would be left in the land, all else taken against their will to live as captives in Babylon. So bad, the psalmist tells us in one of the psalms that they hung their harps on the willow trees because they had no song to sing. It was that bad. It was the darkest of days for the people of God, for the people of Judah. There, as they're in captivity, a letter is delivered from Jeremiah to them in the midst of captivity. We move forward to verse 4, and we begin to see the contents of this letter. Look at what Jeremiah, or what this letter says to the exiles living in Babylon. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent, God says, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. What God is saying to the people of Judah, living now in exile, living now in captivity, having been drugged out of their homeland, fighting to keep their identity intact, God says to them numerous things. He says, number one, you need to bloom where you're planted. 
You can sit around and you can lament all day long about the condition in which you find yourselves. However, what I prefer, God says, is that you build houses and you live there, that you plant gardens and you eat from those. You begin to take husbands and you take wives and you have children and you begin to seek the welfare of the city to which I've sent you. This is a pagan area where God sent them. You need to seek the good of that particular city and you need to ultimately pray for its welfare and its prosperity because in its welfare, you're going to have welfare. God says you need to do all these things. This is what I'm commanding you to do in the midst of exile, in the midst of captivity. And yet still there in their midst were false prophets and were those that were result to sorcery, basically, that were giving false teachings and that were giving uh, 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 falsehoods credited to God. Look, look at what the letter says next in verse, verse 8. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Let me just pause there for a second before we move on to the, to the rest of that. Uh, we have to be very careful, again, we have to be very careful about who we listen to. We have to be very careful about those who explain God's word because there are always those out in the midst, always those out of the public arena who are glad to carry the name of Christ, but what they teach and preach is not in alignment with his word. And it happened the same for the people of Judah. Let, let's continue on to the next slide. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, more than likely these false prophets were saying, oh, this is going to pass quickly. Oh, we're going to be right back home again in no time. God says, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. 70 years. It's against that backdrop, that dark, dark backdrop that we find verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. It's as though God is saying, I know exactly where you are. And as you struggle and as you suffer, and as you move through this time of discipline in your life, when you think that I have abandoned you the way that you have abandoned me, when your mind begins to go to the darkest of places, just remember, God says, that I see where you are, and I know what I'm doing, and I'm still fully in charge, and I know the plans that I have for you, and that I am committed to you, and that I love you with an unconditional love. And those plans that I have for you are ultimately for your good, not your calamity. They're ultimately for your future. They're ultimately to give you hope. And in your darkest of days, Judah, do not forget that I'm the one who's in charge of this, that I have not laid aside my authority, and I know exactly what I want to do in your life, but there is a condition that you need to be aware of. Verse 12 and verse 13. He says, then you will call upon me, and you will come, and you will pray to me, and I will listen to you. What an amazing promise he makes. And you will seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Do you understand? In the middle, I want you just for a second to just sort of clear out your mind for a moment of all the things that are pressing today. Whether you're packing for vacation tomorrow, whether you've got a roast in the oven and you wonder, you know, if your house is burning down right this very moment or whatever's going on later on, just clear all that out for a second and understand the depth of what God promises to you right here and the open invitation that this is in verse 12. He says, when you call upon me, when you hit your knees and you cry out to me, or when you 
shoot up a prayer because you have a need or you just want to draw close to me. Whenever you call upon me, he says to, uh, to all of his children today, he says, when you do that, here's what I promise you. When you pray to me, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to hear you. And I'm going to be totally undistracted from whatever it is that you want to bring to me. Earlier this week, God convicted me one morning. The night before, Drew, my son, just turned 10 this week. Drew and I were in, we don't even know what to call the room. TV room, living room, family room, whatever. Imagine, where are the TVs? Okay, that's right. I'm on one couch. Drew's on the other. I think everybody else was already asleep. And I'm on my phone. I don't even remember what I was on. News, ESPN. You know what dawned on me the next morning? God just convicted me. It's like, you know, you had 30 minutes with your son. And you didn't even give him the time of day. It's not like we didn't talk but I didn't give him my attention. God says, you know what? I promise you that I'm not going to be like that knucklehead brother. So when you call on me, and when you pray to me, and when you come to me, I'm going to listen, and you're going to hear, and you're going to respond. What an amazing take and bring relationship. The God of the universe gives us But he says, but you need to keep something in mind in verse 13, that you're only going to seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It's as though God is saying, I don't do dabble. <laughs> you can't dabble with me. Right? We, we dabble with a lot of stuff. We tinker with a lot of things, right? You know, we we, we have our teams, we have our hobbies, we have our work stuff, we have different kind of things, a lot of irons in the fire. We dabble with a lot of stuff. God says, I don't do dabble, right? If you're going to find me, if you're going to have a relationship with me, if you're going to know me for who I am, and if you're going to be in a relationship that is vibrant, that is living, that is active, that is, that is, that is forward moving, he says, you're going to have to come to me with all your heart. I'm not going to be a leftover and I'm not going to be someone that you can just deal with whenever you've got some spare time. And I'm not going to, uh, you're not going to know me for the way that you, that you need me if you only dabble with me from time to time. He says, I want every bit of you. I gave all of myself for you, and what I ask in exchange is every bit of you as well. And so God says, when you pray and when you come to me, I'm going to hear. It's my promise. And I'm going to listen, and I'm going to respond. But you're only going to find me when you come to me with all of your heart. It has to be all in. You have to be totally, completely immersed. You have to be all sold out. That's why when we baptize, reflecting salvation, not obtaining, but reflecting salvation, that's why the biblical picture is immersion. It shows that we, we died to our sins. We've raised to a brand new life. We're new creatures in Christ. And the walk that we walk is reflective of the salvation that he's given us. It's all in. And God says, if you're going to find me, it's got to be with every part of your heart as you seek me and as you follow me and as you surrender to me. And to me, there's a takeaway there. The takeaway is very, very simple. The takeaway is this, that more than our blessing, we read 29 verse 11 and we see blessing and blessing and blessing. More than our blessing, what God desires is our relationship with him. So often we get stuck on verse chapter 29, verse 11. It's there for a reason, and it's incredibly true. 
But sometimes we, we walk away thinking, yep, God's got a future and God's got a hope and it's all about me and he's going to bless me and he's going to take care of me. And we forget that it's more than about blessing. It's about relationship. It's what he wants. I don't want my kids to bless me. I want to know them. I want to be wise with them. They don't have to give me stuff. They don't have to give me gifts. They don't have to try to jump through hoops to earn my favor. They've already got that. You know, I'm proud of them, and, and I love when they accomplish stuff, but if they didn't accomplish anything, just my relationship is enough. And that's what God wants. And in churches scattered all over this country, there are Christians jumping through hoops. There are Christians just like us that are playing games at the foot of the cross, that are dabbling with God. And God says, you see it? No. There's more to it. More than our blessings. He desires our relationship. You know, in, in, this, in this room today, I think there are three very simple applications to that simple point right there. That if God really desires relationship, there are some that are here who need to start that relationship. For the very first time, the need is for you to admit your sin before God and to lay it down. The Bible calls that repentance and to walk away from it as you surrender and invite the person of Jesus to come in and forgive you and take over. Call upon the name of the Lord, asking Christ to forgive you and to come in. You need to start that relationship that way. And it starts with a conversation. Oh God, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I'm a sinner in need of forgiveness. Would you forgive me and save me and take over from me forever? And there are some here who need to pray a prayer like that to start a relationship with God. There are others who already have that relationship, but somewhere along the way you've walked away from it. God hasn't ended it because he holds true to his word. If he saves you, he's going to keep you. But he ain't going to live the life for you. He'll live it through you if you'll let him. But he won't live it for you. And for some here, you've walked away from God. And you may have walked away to some really, really deep, dark territory. Over the guardrail, into the woods. Maybe it's been a while. But God, through his spirit, has been drawing you back. Maybe even you're here today because it's a part of that journey back to God. And as a believer, you've already trusted your life to Christ, but today he's convicting you to put down what you've replaced him with and to walk back as the prodigal into the arms of a God who loves you and of God who's for you in a way you can't imagine. That if you confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive it and to cleanse it and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Some of you perhaps today, you need to start that relationship. Others, you need to come back to that relationship. And then yet that third category... Some of you need to continue forward in it. You love the Lord. You're walking closely with him. But much like the people of Judah, your days are dark. You may have had a heart broken recently. You may have gone through a trial recently. You may have had a curve that came in your life that you didn't see coming. And you're doing your absolute best to remain faithful and to walk with God. If nothing else comes out of this passage for you, understand God sees where you are. He knows what he's doing. He's still in control. And the day will come when you'll see that his plans for you are Incredibly good. But his desire is that beyond the blessing, that you enjoy the relationship. Verse 12 again is the verse I'm going to invite you. I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to invite you to memorize it this week. 
for you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I, John says, will listen to you. Let's pray. You know, this morning for our invitation, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I'm not going to ask our praise band or praise team to come. I'm just going to ask Sarah, if she will, to come on up and just to pray, play quietly on the, on the keys. And I'm going to ask you to respond simply in prayer. Again, I've, I've kind of named three different groups, those who perhaps need to start a relationship, those who need to come back to a relationship, or those who need to continue in it. But I want to ask you to pray because some of you may know people who are here in this midst or people that are outside of this church who are going through those dark days. And they're not in exile, but they're in an exile of their own. And the days are dark, and they don't even have the strength to lean on God, but you can lean on God for them. And I want to ask you perhaps to consider slipping out from where you are. There's nothing magical about doing this, but just as a, as a demonstration to come and to pray down front and to pray for those that you know are really, really hurting, hurting in life, hurting in their walk with God. Maybe you need to come and you just need to find a spot and you need to pray for yourself. You need to pray thanking God for taking your place, thanking God for drawing you back to his heart, thanking God for giving you the strength to persevere in life, or perhaps even asking Jesus to come in and forgive you and take over. You know, there's been a group that God's been raising up recently in our church, praying for revival amongst us. I sent an email out a month ago, a month and a half ago, with about two or three different items that I mentioned in there to probably most everybody in here. If you're on a database, you got it. And it was interesting, the emails that I got back, the part that I mentioned calling people to pray for revival amongst us was the one that got mentioned the most. People saying, you know what, I'm going to pray for that. And God's been raising up a group of people to pray for revival here, to pray that God would begin in our own midst, in our individual lives, in our families, and in our church, that he bring about a, a revival, bringing us back to his heart at a deeper level than ever before. I'm going to invite you in a moment to come and to pray for that, if you're willing to ask God to bring revival amongst us. And then there have been those that have been praying for an awakening here in our own community, that God would stir in our community in a way that's unmistakably him, to where this community in which we live, this city in which we live, would, would have conviction over sin and a hunger to know God the way that God desires in relationship. A lot of distractions on this island that keep people away from a relationship with the one true God. And our prayer is that God would bring about a stirring in people's lives, desiring to be saved and desiring to know him personally. And my invitation to you here this morning is to slip out from where you are if you're willing and to just come forward and pray. And when you're done, go right back to your seat. God will hear you where you sit. Right? He didn't say anything about you got to be down front in your stairs. <laughs> He'll hear you where you sit. You know, sometimes it's helpful for a church to have the encouragement of knowing I'm not alone. But there are others in this with me that are willing to boldly stand and pray and to even cry out to God to do what only God can do. And so as I pray, I want to invite you to come. And when you're done, I'll close us out again. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. You've given us the promise. We don't even ask you to hear us today. Lord, you've already told us that you do. God, we thank you this morning, and we praise you for being a God who hears the prayers of your people. And as you stir in hearts, even right now, folks coming forward to pray, Lord, there is nothing magical about this time. We're not going to get an extra blessing in heaven because we've left our seat. But Lord, there is something really significant and encouraging about seeing your people doing business with you. Lord, represented perhaps this morning of those that are kneeling or standing and praying or seated and praying, 
are those that are coming home. They're, they're giving up the sin that they've, that they've embraced recently and confessing it to you, and they're coming home to your heart. And God, they're enjoying and they're able to experience what it feels like to be forgiven and clean again. There are those that are praying for others that are hurting, their friends and their family. Lord, people that are going through a dark day, and they're lifting them up, and they're praying, knowing that you're a God in heaven who hears and responds. And Lord, your response may be different than what we expect at times, but your will is always perfect. And Lord, we thank you for the faith demonstrated in the prayers this morning, and others that are praying for revival in our own church. God, that you would take us deeper, that we would truly be your people, not those who dabble with you, but we would be a family of believers, an army of believers that go forth with the word of the gospel boldly with hearts of compassion for people that love as you do. And God, that you would bring, that you would bring awakening to this city and to this community, to these islands where there are so many broken people who don't have a relationship with you. And Lord, we hold the answer because we know you. Lord, bring awakening and a stirring in this community that people would want you, that people would turn to Christ. And Lord, may all this be in a way that only gives you the glory. And bless now the prayers of your people in Jesus' name. You pray, and I'll close us with this.